0: John 1, the Word became flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. With him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. To death that was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all he did, who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decisions or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory For the law was given through Moses; grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but only the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known.
1: My mother had uh, three children, uh, three boys, and I'm I'm the eldest. Um, my other two brothers live up in, uh, in Brizzy. But when people see us together, they are under no illusions that, um, that we're brothers. They understand we are brothers. Our facial features, our mannerisms indicate we all come from the same family and have the same father and mother. But we are very, very different in our temperament and personality and our interests. I just want to share a story about my younger brother. I was not a witness to this, but I've heard about it. Um, a number of years ago, my youngest brother, Wayne, was, uh, he visited Westinghouse's service centre uh, in Brisbane about a faulty fridge. He had a Westinghouse fridge and he had all sorts of problems with it and uh, he made a phone call and a number of phone calls and he got nowhere. So he decided, I'm going in to the service centre. I'm going to deal with this. Apparently when he arrived, he was quite calm and collected. Um, The man at the front counter greeted him and he explained the situation, but Wayne encountered the same problem with the guy over the counter as he had encountered over the phone. And he didn't feel that he was getting satisfaction. So he asked the guy over the counter, he said, look, um, I need to talk to someone else about this. Uh, who's your boss? Where's the boss? And the guy said, he's not here. You, you can't talk to him. So Wayne vaulted the counter and started to walk around, you know, in amongst things, going into rooms, room saying, are you the boss? Are you the boss? Are you the boss? Until eventually this guy came downstairs from his office and said, I'm the boss. Wayne said, ah, you're the man I want to talk to. So the boss invited him up to his office, they had a talk, and I'm told that all ended well. He got it sorted out. Now, there are many things we might think about Wayne's actions, but there's no denying that he eventually got what he wanted. But here's the rub. Many of us can also do that same kind of thing with God. We have a problem, so we pray about it. If we don't get what we desire, we try to force the matter and escalate it until we get what we're after. In the book of Numbers, there's an incident where Israel demanded meat to eat in the wilderness instead of the manna that God was providing. So they complained to Moses and and, uh, insisted on escalating it beyond Moses up to God. Listen to the Lord's response. Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. You will not eat of it for just one day or two days or five, ten or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? And do you know they did the same with Samuel when they insisted on having a king like the nations around them? They went over Samuel's head and they wanted the Lord to give them a king. Well, like Israel, we too can dishonor God by willful inconsistencies that betray our ungratefulness to God. John's gospel introduces us to the wisest and the best way of relating to God he shows us that the word of God made flesh is totally dedicated to doing the Father's will. And John reveals the Son of God who stands in the closest possible relationship with the Father in his perfect holiness and and also with frail humanity. He bears an unmistakable resemblance to God but he's distinct from God. And he bears an unmistakable resemblance with us because he's one of us in our humanity except for sin. So I want us to look at John's Gospel and, and especially just these 18 verses that are called a prologue to the Gospel, like an introduction. And it's the beginning of this series, Who is Jesus?, And we'll be looking at some of the sayings that John has through his gospel. I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the good shepherd, etc. Jesus' I am sayings are all hinted at in these initial 18 verses. Together they build an irrefutable case that Jesus is God. Where Matthew, Mark and Luke focus more on Jesus' humanity... John concentrates more on his divinity. Where Matthew, Mark and Luke begin with the details of Jesus' birth and his early ministry, John takes us right back prior to creation to his pre-existence with God as God and the agent of creation. Now look at verses 1 to 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So when it says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, it's like he was actually face to face with God. He was facing God. He's with God in the sense of being in face-to-face connection, fellowship with him. And he highlights that God is a communicator because he's the word. He speaks. God is a communicating God. This word isn't just personal. He's a he. A he. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. This is a personal word, not just an abstract word. A person who exists with God and who is himself God and who speaks as God. From the beginning, the word is included in the Godhead. From the very beginning, he's not just with God, he is God. The word exists in and alongside God because he's a constituent part of God himself. Think about it. God would not be God without his word. God would not be the God we know without this word face to face. He was with God in the beginning. That is literally at the beginning of creation. As verse 3 says, so we told in the beginning was the word and then he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. So it unmistakably takes us back to Genesis 1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and God said, let there be light. And he's saying that very action of God speaking and saying, let there be light, is not just a word, an abstract word from God, but it's actually God himself, the word of God, as a person who's the agent of creation. The world was made through him, verse 10. Psalm 33, 6 tells us God's word is the very agent of creation. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. When God said, let there be light, it was not just God saying this, but a part of God himself uttering it and doing it. It's a personal act from God, not just sound waves going out. And we're told, in him was life. And that life was the light of mankind. This personal word is alive. In him was life. And this life enlightens us. Later, Jesus will say, I am the way and the truth and the life, and I am the light of the world, etc. And Paul will say in Second Corinthians 4, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So the one who was with God and who is God and is with God face to face, his face displays the likeness of God for us to see. And verses 14 to 18 make it clear that this he is God's incarnate son, Jesus Christ, born into the world to save sinners. Now, there's so much in here, we, I, I can't deal with it all. There's n- no, you know, you could do a whole series of sermons on this passage. But I just want to highlight some things that are significant for us in terms of what this would mean for our daily Christian living. And so important is this Word, who is with God, who is God, who made the Word and was coming into the world that He made that God appoints John the Baptist as his special witness to testify to him. Look at verses 6 to 8, there's a man sent from God, his name was John, he came as a witness to testify. Look, Look at verse 15, John testified concerning him, he cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. So the role of John the Baptist was was to be one who pointed to Christ. And there's something there for us that, that God has placed us into the world too as witnesses to testify that this man who is the word of God is God and in him is life and God has made the world through him. And there's something about the role that we have, too, to point to Jesus like John the Baptist did. He said, go into all the world. Make disciples of all nations. You will be my witnesses. And he's been given all authority in heaven and earth. So this word has the very authority of God. He's with God and he is God. Look at the terms that are used. He came to his own. So there's ownership. He gave the right to become children of God. So if if he has the right to say, you can become a child of God, he must have the authority of God himself. Born not by natural means, but born of God. So when someone is born again through this living word, it's the act of God. God is giving them birth. And we're told the glory of the one and only Son, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. So God's eternal word now resides among us, dwells in us, not just in a tent or a temple like in the Old Testament, but personally in the form of his own son, Jesus. It's literally God pitched his tent amongst us when Jesus was born. When he took on human flesh, it's God coming to dwell in human form with human beings. And Look what it says, verse 16. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace, already given. What does that mean? What does it mean to receive grace in place of grace, already given? I think when you look at what it's saying, if you look at verse 17, it says, the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It's saying that Jesus is God's law incarnate. He's the law of God in embodied form. What God gave to Moses as an act of grace on Mount Sinai, God gave the world in the person of his son, who's the living embodiment of that law, who lives it out and puts it into practice, who does only those things his father tells him. He's the utterly obedient son. So it was an act of grace that God gave Moses the law so Israel would know the will of God but it's an act of further grace for God to give us his son who actually fulfills the law that we can't keep. It describes something very important that we receive through the son that Moses couldn't give us. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, says Paul, Romans 8. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. The Lord is like a fountain or a waterfall of grace that keeps on flowing and keeps on giving. Grace upon grace. Do you know that? Have you experienced that super overflowing, abundant grace of God. It's an act of grace when God shows you your sin. He's revealing to you your fallen condition through his law. But the law can't fix your problem, and God knows that. He knows you need more grace. And grace and truth come through Jesus Christ, who lived in your place, who died on the cross in your place, who rose again in your place, who ascended to the right hand of God in your place to represent you to the Father. He's the mediator. He's the go-between. He's the one who fulfilled all righteousness on our behalf. So... Truth and light expose, while grace and life deal with what is exposed. God keeps on dealing with our sin that the law brings to light, and that's an act of grace, but he doesn't just leave us in a condemned condition. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for those who have experienced grace upon grace. For those who've experienced the one in whom is the light of the world, in in whom is life and through whom God created the world and through whom God also justified or set the world right with himself. Those who allow God's truth to do his work in their lives experience grace upon grace. The eternal life with the Father through the Son flows into us. So learn to pay attention when God is touching your conscience about something, when God's putting his finger on something in your life. It, it, it's an act of grace to show you your failure, even though you smart over it and you don't like it and you wiggle and you squirm and you want to get away from it. God is saying, you don't, you don't measure up, but my son measures up. Look to him and be radiant. Look to him and be saved. Trust in him. I'm delighted in him. In him you will receive grace upon grace. So this is where Jesus' I am statements highlight this. For example, when Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Imagine going into a baker's shop. You walk in through the front door and you look around, there's not a skerrick of bread around in the shop. You think, oh, I thought this is a baker's shop. Okay. And so anyway, the baker comes out and you say, uh, well, where's the bread? And he says, well, you're looking at him. I am the bread. What would you make of that? That's what Jesus is saying. It's not, It's not as though we need something in addition to God. We need God himself. He is our bread. He is our hope. He is our righteousness. He is the way, the truth, the life. He is the true vine. He is the light of the world. Jesus is the law of God kept perfectly on our behalf and he is what we need or he is who we need. Now that's grace. We're told in verse 18, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Literally has declared or explained or literally exegeted him. Exegesis is when you bring out the meaning of the text of the Bible. You do exegesis. So Jesus is exegesis on God. He explains, he shows us what God is like. He has literally made him known. If you want to know God, look at Jesus. That's why later in this gospel, Jesus says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. And there's a number of points through John's Gospel, where the Jews saw the implication of Jesus calling, him, calling God his Father because they knew that made him equal with God, and they, they didn't think that was appropriate. It's one of John's main goals to show that Jesus is God. He wants us all to come to faith like Thomas did and cry out, my Lord and my God. So let's take stock of what we've found. Jesus is the invisible God of creation made visible. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten or the only son from the Father, he has made him known. When Moses asked to see God's glory, he was told, I'll cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I'll proclaim my my name, the Lord, in your presence. But you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. But the word made flesh beholds his face and is himself life. Clearly, the revelation of God that came through Jesus Christ Far surpasses the revelation that came through Moses. Precisely because Moses did not really see God. He saw part of God. Only Jesus has seen God and is therefore able to make him known. So Jesus is the invisible God of creation made visible. Eternal life is not merely endless life, although that's true. It's the very life of the eternal Son who is himself God. So when we have eternal life, it's saying we have the very life of God that lasts unto all eternity. We have the very life of Christ himself in us. And therefore, even though we die, yet shall we live. By the new birth from above, we're privileged to share in the very life of God. I'm the bread of life. I'm the true vine. John emphasizes how essential Jesus is to everything. Think of this phrase, through him, and how many times it occurs. Through him, God can now do things he couldn't do previously. Think of that. What Moses couldn't accomplish with Israel via the law, God has done by sending his son to fulfill the law. And once Jesus died and was glorified, the Holy Spirit could be given. But that couldn't happen until Christ came. It's through the word. Through him we now have the kind of access to God that was unheard of in the Old Testament. God dwelling in us and among us and, and he in us and us in him. Jesus is the through member of the Trinity. We cannot look at Jesus in isolation from the Father. He who has seen me has seen the Father. Because the Father does everything through the Son. Everything. Notice what John tells us about Jesus. Verses 3 and 10. Through him the world was made. Verse 4, through his life, the world receives light. Verse 17, through him, grace and truth come. Verse 18, through him, we get to know what God is like. Jesus is our go-between, between us and God. He's our mediator. We have no access to the Father except through his Son. No one comes to the Father except through me, says Jesus. We can't understand or really know what God's like apart from Jesus. We need Jesus. We're utterly blind. We're like blind and deaf wheelchair-bound patients. We're utterly dependent on Jesus to move us around and to point us in the right direction, to feed and clothe us and be everything we need for life and godliness. We're utterly dependent utterly dependent on him. We're just like blind Bartimaeus who who knows something's going on he cries out, son of David, have mercy on me. And mercy drew near to him and welcomed him. Because Jesus reveals the extent of the treasure of God, John wants us to understand and prize the word through whom we come to God. So that we live in an increasingly treasured, valued, joyful relationship with him. Do you see this? Do you get it? Jesus is God. He gives God's good gifts because he has all the authority in heaven and earth. He, he, gives, God good, good, he gives God's good gifts because he gives himself. He is God's living word to us. So as we wrap this up, I I encourage you to draw near to to God and he will draw near to you. And the way to draw near to God is to behold his son. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Look to him. Cry out to him from your wheelchair-bound status. You can't lift a finger to help yourself, but you can cry out and you say, Son of David, have mercy upon me. And He will hear you. Come to the one who is the cornerstone of God's new creation. and If you do cry out, he will hear you and not turn you away. He will not despise you. And when you've come to him, people will see that you bear a family likeness they'll start to see the spirit of Christ in you. And you won't need to scurry around vaulting counters, trying to make things happen, trying to find the boss to sort things out for you because you know the boss and the boss lives in you. And you've been reconciled to the boss and you have everything you need in the Lord Jesus Christ you'll have access to the throne of God's unending grace. Listen to this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet, he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, his grace upon grace throne, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And it's through Jesus, God's Son, who is himself God. Let's pray. Father, we bless you and we thank you for this grace upon grace Generosity that's flowed out of your heart to this world. That as you spoke creation into existence, so you have spoken new life into existence in us. We have received your words. Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life, for you are eternal life. Father, we bless you and thank you for this treasured, amazing gift of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have received grace upon grace. Not just the knowledge of sin, but the remedy for sin. Not just the conviction of sin, but new birth and life and righteousness through him. Thank you, Lord. Thanks be to you for your unspeakable gift. Help us to treasure Jesus. Help us to value you, Lord, and the knowledge of God as more valuable than anything else in this whole world. Hear our prayers. And if there are any here today, Lord, who are struggling, who sense that you're afar off or wondering where you are in their life, help them to come to you through your Son, for there's no other way. Help them to draw near with a confident faith that you will hear them for the sake of Jesus and that you will deal with their circumstances when they humble themselves and come on your terms instead of trying to vault the counter and take matters into their own hands. Give them encouragement, Lord, for we have a great high priest who is at your right hand in the Holy of Holies who's done everything we need for life and righteousness, who is our life and righteousness. Lord, in your name we pray. Amen.